I'm, I'm excited about our guest preacher this morning. Um, I know that some of you guys have had a chance to meet Father Jack Gabig. Um, he's actually been working with a team of people in this congregation who are being trained to be catechists and spiritual directors. So very early on, um, before we even launched this church, uh, just uh, uh, the Lord kind of put it on my heart. He was sharing a vision for this um, institute that he was starting called the Ambrose Institutes that, that, that equips lay leaders in these, in these special ways that they really need equipping. And I'm like, we have a lot of awesome leaders. So we gathered a team, and uh, it's been a blessing to learn from him. But even before that, um, I've always loved Jack. Uh, and uh, we got to be a part of the same church for a little while when I lived in Pittsburgh. Uh, always enjoyed to hear him preach. He would uh, visit John and I's seminary and uh, speak with the seminarians at the table. And I just uh, always enjoyed dialoguing with him. Uh, he's a man of God. You know, I, I have to say before I pray for him, I don't know quite how he's preaching for us this week because... He just ended his sabbatical in Oxford like two days ago and then preached at a conference this weekend and then is preaching here this morning and then he's leading the Ambrose Institute this week. So, I, you know, I told him yesterday, I'm like, I don't know how you've had time to prep or anything, but just, just, be, just be Jack in Christ, all right? That's what <laughs> so uh, please stand and I'll pray for him and uh, we're so happy to have you here. Oh, uh, sorry, I, I, I was talking to Jack. But man, you guys are getting good. <laughs> Father in heaven, we thank you for this man. We thank you that you've put your Holy Spirit in him. We thank you that he loves your church, your bride, that he loves your word. Um, and Lord, we pray that uh, you would use him to speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I should probably just sit down because if I combine any five words, it's all going to go south. <laughs> so, um, anyway, it's a delight to be here. I, I am a real fan of this diocese and have been friends with uh, your bishop and his wife for years. We met in Israel, actually, uh, 25 years ago or so. Um, and it occurred to me today... Um, the 20, oops, sorry, uh, I cry at card tricks, so, um, you know, supermarket grand openings, but it was, actually, it was actually like 32, 33 years ago today that I actually took my faith serious, and um, the Lord kind of showed up in my car, it's a little bit weird, um, and spoke to me, and my life has been gloriously ruined. Um, <laughs> So can I say praise God? Praise God. Um, anyway, so uh, it's a delight to get to be here with you, and I, I know a number of folks from this community, so it's fun to see it collected. Um, so anyway, I, I understand you've been looking at the Gospel of Luke as you work your way through, and I'm going to pick up on what was read today. Uh, and to get there, let me share a story. You may have heard this story. Um, it's late one night, and the doctor who is responsible for the psychiatric ward at the local hospital is just making his rounds, make sure everything's okay. He makes his way up and down the halls, and he gets to one of the halls, and he, he turns the bend, and he hears a ruckus. He thought, that, that's bizarre, and he makes his way down the hall and, and pushes open the door and pops in to find Henry stripped to his skivvies and up on the dresser, pounding his chest and screaming at the top of his lungs, I'm the king of the universe! Stars and planets are at my command! And the doctor said, Harry, good, 
down off of that dresser, you're gonna hurt yourself. And you're causing a disruption. And he said, but I'm the king of the universe. I rule everything. And he said, you do not. Who told you that? Then all of a sudden, a voice from across the hall breaks in and said, I did not. What I forgot to tell you was, he said, who told you that? And the, he said, God told me. God told me I'm the king of the universe. At which point a voice breaks in, sorry about that, from across the hallway, we'll blame it on England, but voice calls in from across the hallway, shut up, I did not. There's a madness in the world, in case you haven't caught on, where we think we really are king of the universe. Just look at the newspaper. Um, and we fight over being in charge of our lives. We struggle to try and be in control. And uh, the whole political context of this country and others, not just here, around the world, bear fruit. We grasp at thinking that we really are in control. We are. And the parable today really gets at that. Um, it's really about the kingdom of God coming. And you've probably heard a fair amount in, in Luke's gospel of, of prep. Did you go through and talk about key themes? And All kinds set of stuff, up? Yeah, yeah. sure. We've been preaching on it for two years. So. Oh, golly. Okay. <laughs> Good job. You know Luke well. Um, but the key theme I want to say is the coming of the kingdom of God. It's what runs through all the gospels and all the synoptic gospels in particular. Uh, and Luke's gospel, uh, this word at turning point today uh, in this gospel because something's about to turn and everything changes. Some of the key themes in the gospel uh, certainly are salvation. Luke talks about salvation more than almost anybody. And for him, salvation is not just uh, a spiritual thing. It's salvation of bodies. It's salvation of relationships. It's salvation of spirits and souls. And, and it's all being swept up into the coming of the kingdom of God. And he also, some of the key themes that he talks about um, throughout the gospel are um, uh, in the light of salvation, the, the underprivileged. Mm -hmm. He talks more about women who were not always esteemed in that culture, children, the poor, um, the, the, the despised, who are all tasting the salvation of God because the kingdom of God is coming. And what was cast down is being raised up as the colleague says. Things that had grown old are being made new and all things are being brought to their perfection by him through whom all things were made. Fabulous colleague. <laughs> anyway, um, so in this, let's just think for a minute about the context because as the saying goes, context is king. It's really easy to take scripture and hijack it and make it say whatever we want unless we take and, and sit in the context of what's going on in this. So um, here's a little bit of context. Things are about to change. Jesus is down to probably his last 10 days of his earthly ministry and life. He's now f almost three years into his ministry. He's extremely popular uh, amongst many and extremely unpopular by others. And so this throng gathers, and here he is coming to Jerusalem, which is up the hill. He comes to Jericho, that, that oasis city, which is the gateway. There's not too many ways to get up to Jerusalem. Um, and the road runs through Jericho, which is the oasis, and up through. And as he comes, everybody's coming for the big feast, for the Passover. And there are loads of pilgrims on the road, and the word is out, Jesus, the Messiah, 
the, the one that they think might be the one. He's been talking about the kingdom of God. I mean, if we try to step in and crawl into the mindset, there's a lot of excitement going on. And he shows up in Jericho, which is the gateway city, and the throng is all on their way up, up to Jerusalem for the big festival. And the people are following him. He's extremely popular. And what you just heard about in the past couple of weeks, certainly, is um, he starts to demonstrate the kingdom of God coming. First off, with, um, with they don't use the, the name Bartimaeus. Luke doesn't use the name Bartimaeus, but it's obvious. This blind beggar who is calling out to Jesus, and Jesus notices him. That's one of the things I love about Jesus is he doesn't miss a trick. He notices people. Like we walk down the street and ignore that blind beggar. I'm busy. I'm important. I've got this throng following me. And Jesus stops and says, what do you want? And he demonstrates the kingdom. And then Bartimaeus, who's made his living by begging, is so excited. He jumps to his feet and follows in. And they go through the gates and they're into Jerusalem. It's part of the context. Well, as he's following along, Zacchaeus gets word. And you heard about that last week. I won't get too, too much into that. But Zacchaeus climbs the tree. And his shriveled heart, which, as you heard Father John talk last week about, about when money becomes his all-encompassing thing, it's a very, very wealthy man. Jesus notices him and says, I'm going to have dinner at your house. And his shriveled heart swells with joy. You heard Father John talk about that last week. Just he overwhelmed. It's overwhelmed with joy. And then he gets extravagant and he says, Okay, I'm going to give half. I mean, he's blubbering. He's looking for words because he's just had an encounter. And he, he says, I'm going to give half of everything to the poor. Oh, and I, if I've cheated anybody, duh, if, <laughs> I, I'm, going to, I'm going to pay it back fourfold. He must have had a lot of money, a lot more than he collected. And he had become quite wealthy. And Jesus responds to him, sets the tone for the parable. He says, today, salvation has come to this house, one of the key themes. He says, since he also is a son of Abraham. To say a son of Abraham means you're a law-abiding, obedient, faith-filled Hebrew the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And here's the throng who's not really paying attention probably to most of it. They're caught up in the swell. They're excited. But Jesus is paying attention to Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus and he's making his way up. And when he goes up to Jerusalem, the next step is the triumphal entry. So it's in that context that the parable begins. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. He's got all these people. He, you know, Jesus in these teachable moments, all these things are going on. As they heard all these things, today salvation has come to your house. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. They heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Because he was near Jerusalem, and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. There's a group thing going on. The swell is, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of popularity. We're going up to the big festival. Like Jerusalem at that time would swell from, I actually probably know better than me, but it would swell from, from like 25, 30,000 people up to sometimes half a million, I've heard. Now, it's just guesstimates, but it, there would be so many people they'd have to stay 
on, on you know in in people's rooms in tents whatever because the big festival and this is the moment and they thought the kingdom is coming he's been talking about the kingdom we're gonna do it this is the day this is the hour and I'm not commenting on American popular uh, politics <laughs> but you could almost hear let's make Israel great again. <laughs> Seriously, that's what's in the background. These people are by force. Jesus said earlier that the day was when the kingdom of God was brought about by force. Not so anymore. This, they're thinking, this is the day, this is the hour, caught up in the sweep, and here is Bartimaeus, and here is, um, you know, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said everybody's making their way and they're going up. It's within days that they'll be up there and Jesus is going to inaugurate the kingdom. But it's going to look very, very different. And he tells this parable. How a nobleman went to a far country to receive uh, a kingdom and return. So he called ten servants and he gave each one a mina. A mina, they estimate, is about a laborer's wage for uh, the ten minas would be maybe three months wages. It's not a lot of money, it's, it's a bit. And he, as a king, he's he goes back as a nobleman, he goes out as a nobleman, and he's coming back as a king, he needs to have some money. So he takes 10 people, gives each a mina, figuring they're gonna go invest, they'll do something. Uh, subtext, if we were trying to listen to this with Hebrew ears, you're probably gonna go to the money changers and you can make a lot of quick cash by lending money, which is completely against the law. <laughs> But you can do it. And the thing I like about parables is they're always jarring. And you think you know where this is going. And then you go, did, 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 did he just say that? Yeah, exactly. So what subtext is they're thinking he gives them money. The, this guy's going to come back a king. He needs to, to, to wage war. He needs to have some money to govern if he's coming back to be a king. So he gives it to ten people and says, try your best. Well, the first one comes back and says, hey, you gave me one mina. I made ten. Well done. I'm going to put you, if you can handle that, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. When he comes back, he brings him forward. He goes, I'm going to put you in charge of 10 cities. The next one comes with five. I'm going to put you in charge of five cities. The third one comes back, uh, and it only lists three of 10. It leaves us to wonder, what about the others? But you can fill in the blanks. It doesn't say, so let's not you know, too imaginative. But the other one comes back and says, I knew you were a harsh master. And so I just wrapped it in a napkin. Didn't even like put it in a store box. He just wrapped it in a napkin, you know, and hid it somewhere. It wasn't even safe, you know. And I knew that you reap where you've not sown, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So here's your mina back. And he's judged by his own words. He actually didn't just uh, say, "Look, I was scared." He did say that, but he actually insulted him mm -hmm. by saying. I know that you reap where you've not sown. You're, I know you're a profiteer, is what he's saying. So you're going to be judged by your own words. And um, part of the parable also is that there were people who didn't want this guy to be a king. And they went off and sent an embassy to say, don't make this guy king. He comes back king anyway. And now they're really in trouble. So he judges this guy, and then he says, bring those who didn't want me, and I'll put them to death. It's kind of jarring, mm -hmm. because the guy who didn't even put his money, the, the guy who hid his money in a napkin, doesn't even take it to the money changers. 
to see if he can make a little profit from the bank. He didn't have to do anything, just give it to the money changers and they give it back to him with a little interest. And it's like, wait, is Jesus telling him? He just said that. I don't know if he's promoting that, but it's kind of jarring. He's caught everybody off. And then, in addition to taking this guy's money and says, now give it to the one with 10. Wait a second. He's already got 10. Right, right, right. He was shrewd. And you're a fool. And bring the ones who didn't like me and slay them in front of me. Oh, my goodness. Jesus, I thought you were bringing about this kingdom with peace, with, like, uh, they're kind of speechless. Now, here's the interesting thing with this parable. Um, because who's he talking about? This is different than the ten talents, if you know that one, which is in, which is in Matthew. The ten talents were literally loads of money, and it was about using your talent, taking a risk, putting it into God's hands, and seeing what God does. This is not about using your talents. This is just about sheer, basic faith. And so um, Jesus has all these people in the back of their mind thinking the kingdom is coming. And really, who's he talking about? Because one interpretation, it comes from Josephus, who is a, an historian, uh, a Jewish historian for the Roman Empire, um, writes that it's actually about Herod. Because Herod, the current Herod, the son of Herod the Great, uh, when he wanted, when he was given a third of the kingdom, went off to Rome and asked Caesar to make him a puppet king. And an embassy was sent to tell Caesar, don't let this man rule over us. He's a horrible man. And when he came back, he was given the land, but not the title king. He killed 3,000 people. So the people are hearing this parable and going, oh, is he talking about, is he talking about Herod? But then the context is that he's just told Zacchaeus that he's been saved. And we know that Zacchaeus has a lot of money by unjust means, right? Maybe he's talking about Zacchaeus. Actually, you know how Zacchaeus probably made a lot of his money. It's reading into it, but maybe he was the money changers. In addition to what he collected, he had become a very wealthy man. And now, is Jesus telling us that Zacchaeus is going to reign? That Wait, you're telling me? They're trying to get their heads around what Jesus is telling them. Hmm. Uh, you're telling this parable because of, of Zacchaeus. Are you, are you saying that you're going to give Zacchaeus like serious rights in your kingdom? All along, and this is Luke's thing, all along, pardon me, but the whores, the tax collectors are dancing their way into kingdom, hmm. into the kingdom, while the people who hate Jesus, who are in control, are being excluded. We are going to judge angels, St. Peter tells us, or St. Paul tells us. So this parable is really confusing. Are you talking about, are you talking about Herod? Yeah, there's striking a chord there. Or are you talking about Zacchaeus, that, that you're praising him for being shrewd, and now what he's actually done is cast his bread upon the water, and he's so overwhelmed with being amongst the saved that he pays back. And he says, I'm not nearly so interested in that as true riches in the kingdom. 
Jesus has got everybody kind of wondering on this one, maybe. Another interpretation is Jesus is talking about himself. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's going to inaugurate the kingdom. But the kingdom doesn't come by force. The kingdom comes by weakness. You heard St. Paul talking about that in Corinthians today. God shames the strong of this world with weakness, the wisdom of this world, to show it's foolish. And Jesus is going up to surrender his life in Jerusalem, not to take Jerusalem by storm. He's about to bring in and inaugurate the kingdom. And he's going to go away to a faraway country, the Ascension. Mm -hmm. It's Luke who tells us more about the Ascension than anyone. And so Jesus is going to go and receive a kingdom. And there are a lot of people to whom he will return who don't want him to be the king. And he's going to reward those like Zacchaeus, who've cast their bread upon the water, who've given everything up to follow him and let them reign with him while the people who hate him it sounds pretty harsh but will be slain Um, there's a certain sense by their own decision and by their own faith is this the king this king that we don't want to rule over us this king that doesn't look very kingly he came had no comeliness that we should be drawn no beauty that we should be drawn to him Isaiah talks about. This is the king? Yeah. And when he returns in the second coming, there'll be a sorting, (laughs) which is the key theme that he does from now for the next couple of days. You see it in Matthew, you see it in Luke, where he starts to talk about the end days and a sorting. The point is here that Jesus has caught us all off guard going, what exactly are you telling me? I'd say all three. He's got their attention because they think they know what he's talking about with, with Herod. But wait, you're saying this in the context of that guy. Yep. Salvation's come to his house today. And he's about to inaugurate a kingdom that is his kingdom that doesn't come our way. In this country, around the world, we want to seize by force. We want to grab and run and smash and force things, and we want to do it in the name of God sometimes. We do it with the church. We do it with our families sometimes, when in fact the kingdom doesn't come that way. It comes by weakness, by submission. It comes when the weak find themselves strong because of God. It's what happens in the uh, Sermon on the Mount uh, where Jesus teaches that uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's completely upside down. I, I wonder what the Lord might be speaking to you in terms of the way we live and the kingdom of God. I don't know about you, but I want to be in control. And I don't make a real good job of it. 
And yet when I surrender, like those Beatitudes, the poor in heart, or the, the, the pure of heart will see God. And the poor receive his kingdom. The way of God is upside down. It's kind of the way down is the way out. Think about that in terms of our own lives because what we end up inheriting is all that comes with the kingdom. When we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, we end up with peace. We end up with love unimaginable. We end up with joy that we can't manufacture. We end up with things that come from God and God alone rather than grasping and stealing and forcing. The parable, I don't know about you, but calls me to account to say, I don't want to be in charge. I need to let you reign in my life. And what we do is we inherit a kingdom that is his because he's given us the power to be sons and daughters of God. Take a moment in uh, silence before the Lord and let him examine our lives in ways that we refuse or might let go of his kingdom, right? let go of our kingdom so that we might receive his, his reign over us. <coughs> kingdom um, is beyond our imagining because it's yours but we do pray that the whole world might see and know the things that were cast down are being raised up and that by you all things uh, which had grown old are being made new and being brought to their perfection by you through whom all things were made Jesus, your son. Amen.